is a solution to extending duration with a flibercept in DME patients a higher 8 milligram dose rather than the typical 2 milligram dose? He's Greg Notstein, I'm Scott Kriswanis, and this is new Retina Radio's Arvo 2023 coverage from Retina Today and Brynmark Communications. Dr. Diana Doe joined us to review data from the Photon study, which assessed the safety and efficacy of high dose of Flibercept in DME patients. And we heard from Dr. Jennifer Lim, who summarized data on extending treatment intervals in the Phase 3 Yosemite and Rhine studies. Could a significant number of DME patients make it to 12 or even 16 weeks before needing another furosemab dose? We'll hear from Dr. Lim. There's so much focus on broadening anti-VEGF offerings via biosimilars and new molecules that we sometimes forget that deepening the options available to patients could be effective also. To wit, high dose of Flibercept, which is an 8mg formulation distinct from the 2mg formulation approved by the FDA. Does increasing the molar dose of a Flibercept result in longer duration without a corresponding reduction in efficacy? To find out, we spoke with Dr. Diana Doe, who presented the Phase 2-3 photon trial data at this year's ARVO annual meeting. Dr. Doe is the Vice Chair of Clinical Affairs and a Professor of Ophthalmology at the Byers Eye Institute at Stanford University in Palo Alto, California. Dr. Doe, welcome back to New Render Radio. It's a pleasure to be with all of you today. Before we get to photon study design, tell us about the characteristics of 8 milligram of Flibercept. The development of 8 milligrams of Flibercept really goes back to the unmet need that we see in clinical practice. Multiple studies in the real world clinic have shown that under treatment of diabetic macular edema or other retinal vascular diseases limits the maximal vision benefit patients can see with intravitreal VEGF inhibitors. So there remains an unmet need for effective and safe medicines that can have a longer duration of VEGF suppression. In order to answer this unmet need, first animal studies were performed to understand the effects of increasing the flibercept molar dosage. And what we found in the rabbit model showed that there was a dose-dependent duration of leakage inhibition with the flibercept. And in fact, increasing the molar dose of a flibercept by fourfold in the animal model extended the duration of leakage to over three times that of the original dose. With that data at hand, we developed the human clinical trials of eight milligrams of flibercept which is a novel intravitreal formulation delivered in 70 microliter via an intravitreal injection. The hypothesis is that a Flibercept 8 milligrams provides four times higher the molar dose, which should provide a longer effective vitreous concentration and enable more sustained inhibition of VEGF signaling. With that in mind, let's turn to the photon study itself, which examined high dose of Flibercept in patients with DME. How was photon designed? Photon was a multi-center randomized clinical trial conducted in over seven countries worldwide. It enrolled patients with center-involved DME and randomized them to one of three dosing regimens. 
The first regimen was two milligrams of Flibercept every eight weeks. The second regimen was eight milligrams of a Flibercept given every 12 weeks. And the third regimen was eight milligrams of a Flibercept given every 16 weeks. The primary endpoint was at week 48, and it dealt with the mean change in best corrected visual acuity with a non-inferiority margin of four letters. What happened if a patient in the 12-week or the 16-week dosing interval showed a suboptimal response? The design of the photon study allowed for dose regimen modifications during the first year of the trial. Recall that if you were in the two milligram of Flibercept dose, you received five initial monthly injections and then received two milligrams of Flibercept every eight weeks without any dose modifications. However, if the study I was randomized to eight milligrams of a Flibercept, they received only three initial monthly doses. And then thereafter at certain visits, they could be have a dose regimen modification. So at week 16, eyes would be assessed if they had a 10-letter loss in best corrected visual acuity and a 50 micron or greater increase in the retinal thickness, then their interval was shortened. But remember, the minimal interval for all patients was every eight weeks. So no patient received any dose of a flibercept more frequently than every eight weeks. All right, it's results time. Why don't you tell us some of the top-line results for the study? The photon study met its primary endpoint in both 8-milligram groups, both the 8-milligram of Flibercept given every 12 weeks or the 8-milligram given every 16 weeks was non-inferior in visual acuity outcomes to 2 milligrams of Flibercept. And when we look at how the vision improved over time, we can see that there's a rapid improvement in vision early on in the head-to-head -head match phase, and this is sustained through 48 weeks. In fact, at week 48, a Flibercept-treated eyes gain on average eight to nine letters of visual acuity. Did baseline characteristics forecast patient response? Fortunately, when we looked at baseline visual acuity among all the treatment arms, we could see whether you're on two milligrams of a flibercept or eight milligrams of a flibercept, all eyes had a positive response. If you started off with lower levels of vision, of course, you had a bigger improvement in vision. Those eyes gained eight to 10 letters. If you started off with excellent vision, better than 73 letters, those eyes on average gained four to 5.8 letters. There was a benefit seen in all groups, regardless of baseline vision. I want to go back to the question of patients who had their dosing interval shortened. How many patients were able to stay in the dosing interval to which they were randomly assigned at the beginning of the photon study? In this photon study, a large majority of those patients randomized to 8 milligrams of a Flibercept maintained their randomized intervals through week 48. In fact, when we looked at the data, 91% of subjects randomized to 8 milligrams of Flibercept every 12 weeks maintained that Q12-week dosing through 48 weeks. And furthermore, 89% of eyes randomized to 8 milligrams of Flibercept every 16 weeks also stayed on that interval through one year. Were there any safety data worth noting? Safety, of course, is of paramount importance to both patients and physicians. Fortunately, when we looked at 
the safety data in this large randomized clinical trial of over 650 patients, we saw no safety signals. The rate of intraocular inflammation was extremely low and similar to that of what we see with two milligrams of flibercept. Furthermore, there were no safety issues related to elevated intraocular pressure. And finally, there were no systemic safety issues noticed with the eight milligrams of a flibercept. Dr. Doe, as always, thank you so much for joining us here on New Retina Radio. It's always a pleasure to be with New Retina Radio. Extending treatment duration is the name of the game in many retinal diseases, and it is especially important in diabetic macular edema, which affects a significant number of working-age adults. Farizumab may offer a solution to extended duration, given its dual-pathway inhibition, but what do the clinical trial data say, and how can those data inform treatment decisions now that farizumab is approved for DME? Dr. Jennifer Lim delivered a presentation on the Phase 3 Yosemite and Rhine studies at Arvo, and she's here to help us sort through the data. Dr. Lim is the Marion H. Shank Esquire Chair and UIC Distinguished Professor of Ophthalmology at the University of Illinois at Chicago, where she's also the Director of Retina Service and the Vice Chair for Diversity and Inclusion. Dr. Lim, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here, Scott. Thanks so much for having me. Our listeners are intimately familiar with Farisamab as a molecule, but they might be less familiar with Yosemite and Rhine as studies. Can you remind us of the design of the two studies? Yosemite and Rhine were the phase three clinical trials that compared Farisamab to a flibercept in patients who had either treatment naive or previously treated diabetic macular edema, in which the thickness was three to 25 microns or more, and the visual acuity was 2040 to 2320. And these patients were randomized equally between three arms, farisimab, eight milligrams every month after six loading doses, or farisimab via personalized treat and extend interval after four loading doses, or a flibrocept two milligrams every eight weeks after five loading doses per global label. And the design of this study to me is particularly interesting with regards to the personalized treat and extend arm. In that arm, patients could be extended from Q4 weeks all the way up to Q16 weeks, depending upon changes in baseline visual acuity and changes in the central subfield thickness. As I understand it, the primary endpoint was uh, BCVA improvement from baseline, averaged over weeks 48, 52, and 56, which was essentially year one results, and then uh, the same toward week 100, which would have been the two-year results. What did you find at those t- at those two time points? Well, Scott, we found that the primary endpoint was actually reached for the furosemab arms in comparison to a flibercept. And particularly, since this was a non-inferiority study, we found that these were non-inferior visual gains. And that is the furosemab and the flibercept arms gained between 10.3 and 10.8 letters overall. So there really was no difference. When we looked at the CST reductions from baseline, however, we found that the farisimab arms, both the Q8 and the PTI treat and extend arm, did better than the flibercept arms. We looked at the match dose phase where patients had received equal numbers of either drug, and we found that the reduction in the central subfield thickness was better for the farisimab arms than for the flibercept arm. And this continued through year one. And at the end of year two, 
the gains that were seen in visual acuity and the improvements in central subfield remained similar and non-inferior in terms of visual acuity. And overall, looking at the area under the curve, the improvements in the central subfield were still better for the frisimab arms compared to the flibercept arm. In the phase three Tanaya and Lucerne studies, which examined ferisimab in wet AMD therapy, patients were able to reduce the number of injections they received if they were in the ferisimab arms uh, relative to the aflibercept control arm. Did we see something similar here? Absolutely, Scott. We found, looking at the personalized treated and extend arm, that indeed the ferisimab treated eyes received fewer injections and yet had the same improvements in visual acuity and the same improvements in the central subfield. Specifically, if we look at the median number of injections for both years of the study, we found that the number was 11 for the treat and extend arm of frisimab versus 15 for the Q8 frisimab or 14 for the Q8 flibercept arms. And looking specifically at the treat and extend arm, we see that at the end of year one, 62% were able to be dosed at Q16 weeks, and in fact, 78% were able to be dosed at Q12 weeks or greater. And when we look at year two, we see that 76% of those and 79% of those who were able to achieve Q16 and Q12 respectively at the end of year one were still maintaining these extended dosing intervals at the end of the study. And looking just at year two, we see that the median number of injections for the treat and extend furosemab arm was three in comparison to five for the Q8 furosemab and the Q8 aflibercept arms in year two. So the bottom line is, yes, we can achieve the same visual acuity and the same CST improvements with fewer dosing. All right, so all of these data are interesting, but they all took place in the context of a clinical trial, and it's a tale as old as time. We know the difference between real-world results and clinical trial results. I guess my question is, how can these clinical trial results inform the treatment decisions for real-world clinicians? These clinical trial results can actually help clinicians know what to expect in year one and what to expect in year two. And also the algorithm I find is very clinically applicable. So in this study in year one, we found that most of the decisions that we had to make were really to extend the interval by four weeks. And so these intervals ranged from four weeks up to 16 weeks. And specifically after three loading doses, we were able to make a decision as to whether the interval would be extended beyond four weeks if the central subfield thickness was below 325 microns. So at that point, we would give the fourth injection and the next visit would be not in four weeks, but in eight weeks, as long as the CST was below 325 microns. And in the study, we found that this occurred in about two thirds of the patients in the treat and extend arm. So these patients were able to be extended at this earliest dosing opportunity beginning at week 12. In year one, the vast majority of the decisions were to continue to extend the interval by four weeks. And then as we moved to year two, we found that there was a shift, that most of the decisions we had to make at the active dosing intervals was really to maintain the treatment intervals. And this occurred in over 50% of these decisions. And most of these consisted of the Q16 week, which was really the longest dosing interval. This comprised 39% of these total of 50%. And then on the opposite end, 3.9% of 
comprising that 50% were being dosed at Q4 weeks. And then when we looked at the occurrence of when we would have to shorten the dosing interval, we found that this really did not occur very often. It occurred in 8% of the year one decisions and 15% of the year two decisions. And again, I wanna remind um, everyone that these were decisions. These were not individual patients. These were the decisions made throughout the study. And specifically, there were over 5,000 decisions made throughout the study over the two years. And if we look specifically at the group in which we had to shorten the interval by eight weeks because the central subfield thickness had increased greater than 10% or the visual acuity had dropped 10 or more letters, we found that this was really rare in around 3% of all decisions. Another important lesson I think we can learn from this clinical trial is how do we actually dose the patient? And specifically, how do we apply this algorithm? You know, this algorithm, I think, worked very nicely. It was able to achieve the visual acuity and central subfield thickness improvements that we wanted to see. And it shows that this algorithm, when applied, is just as good as dosing furosemab Q8 or flibercept Q8. The algorithm looks at changes from the reference central subfield thickness and the reference best corrected visual acuity. So what are these reference values? Well, the reference central subfield is that value which is below 325 microns, which could be achieved as early as week 12. And the reference best corrected visual acuity is the mean of the three prior best visual acuities. And so at each active dosing interval, we compare what the current value is to that reference value. And I like to think of it as using the CST as the guideline. So basically, if the central subfield thickness has improved greater than 10% of that reference CST, regardless of what the visual acuity is doing, you maintain the dosing interval because those are patients who are improving. If the central subfield thickness has remained stable, that is it's within and including 10%, either better or worse than the reference central subfield thickness, you extend the treatment interval by four weeks. And this is true unless the visual acuity has dropped 10 or more letters, in which case you maintain the current dosing interval. Now, if the central subfield thickness has worsened greater than 10% and up to 20%, you maintain the dosing interval unless the visual acuity has dropped five to nine letters or more than uh, 10 letters or more. And in those situations, you drop the dosing interval by four weeks and eight weeks respectively. And then lastly, if the central subfield has worsened greater than 20% than the reference central subfield uh, thickness, then you decrease the interval by four weeks, regardless of the change in visual acuity, unless the visual acuity has dropped 10 or more letters, in which case you shorten it by eight letters. So Scott, it might sound a little bit daunting at first when you think of percents, but recall, usually the reference is somewhere around 280 to 300 microns because it has to be below 325 microns. And so if you think in terms of that, 10% is somewhere between 28 to 30 microns, and 20% is somewhere between 56 and 60 microns. So I think that this dosing interval is pretty easy to apply once we take these into consideration.
Dr. Lim, thanks for joining us and congrats on a solid presentation at Arvo. Thank you so much, Scott. It's my pleasure to be here today. That concludes New Retina Radio's coverage of the 2023 Arvo Annual Meeting. Be sure to check back this summer when we offer coverage from this year's ASRS Annual Meeting. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to the podcast. If you like the podcast, tell your friends about it or rate us, review us on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, whichever platform you use. Thanks for now.